Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. So welcome back to First Class Fantasy. I'm Theo Greminger. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Billy Muzio. And we are joined today by one of my favorite analysts in fantasy football, and John Daigle. John is putting out tremendous content at 4 for 4. Uh, his written work is excellent. His podcasts are legendary at this point, John. Uh, John, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you're putting out right now and, and what you have on tap for the next couple months? Too kind for the intro. I appreciate it. And right now we are all in that post-draft world. And so if you have rookie rankings going on, for example, my rookie rankings and tiers are up live at 44.com if that's your thing. If not, my best ball tiers, as you mentioned, will be available beginning next Tuesday, every single position at 44. So whatever you're into this time of year, I guarantee you there's something up for you over there. And the most accurate podcast is very, very good. Uh, I have the John and John podcast in, in my continual uh, gym rotation. Um, it's John Paulson and John Daigle, uh, you know, going over pretty much everything relevant uh, in fantasy and, and helping us be better drafters. Uh, John, let everybody know when those are dropping. Yeah. So we actually have now a set YouTube schedule for the off season, at least. And that puts Paulson and myself together live every Wednesday at 1230 P Eastern. But of course, if you can't make it live, no worries at all. The most accurate podcast feed, wherever you listen to podcasts, that's where you can find it, usually by Wednesday afternoon. The most recent episode from yesterday, actually, I did the grueling task of watching every post-draft press conference. And so then we talked about the, the top 15 takeaways for veterans. Because yes, we already talked about rookies a couple weeks ago, but I wanted to really find out the fallout, which coaches are thinking, and the rookies they add, and what happens to veterans ahead or behind them and so we talked about all of that for fantasy just yesterday it's the nfl draft sliding doors you know one door one door opens one door closes it's always always a great topic i'm looking forward to that um and yeah we highly recommend john and then john and john are also participating in our draft kit which is going to drop at the at the end of the month billy is also also going to do billy you're doing amon ross st brown that's right yep 
I'm stoked for that one. So we're we're really excited. That's uh that's winding down. That should be available to you on June first. Uh, so we're really excited about that at, at our player profiler. Very okay, we'll excited. Move. Uh, that it usually sneaks up. The yo, I know you have to come into my DMs and remind me like, like so many times a week. So, but I will be there, and I appreciate you asking me. I always appreciate the invite. Anytime I can work with player profiler and Kelly and all of you, um, I'll always do it. I'm creeping in a lot of people's DMs right now, John, <laughs> reminding them we got deadlines here. Um, it's it's and- the borderline of post-draft and us trying to get everything out while also taking this quote-unquote vacation for the next two months. Because really, like, it really does go on forever. There is no off-season anymore. But anytime I can get any amount of sun in while doing this work like we can right now, I take advantage of that usually. No, for sure, for sure. And uh, Billy, we um we got a lot to cover today. Um, the, the show sheet is packed. Um, you know, me and you had an opportunity to kind of sit back and talk about, uh, post NFL draft fallout, you know, between the two of us. And now we have a chance to bring in the first of, of a few really great guests that we've got lined up for May. So I'm, I'm stoked. How are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, I'm excited to hop in, you know, I Twitter post yesterday. People will just, you're on one or the other side of the fence about B. John Robinson. There's, there's not a lot of people in the middle. Um, we saw his ADP creep up to, RB two in underdog as of as of this week, which is a little asinine to me. But um, before we jump in, let's take a quick word from our sponsors, and then let's dive dive right into the RB one talk. You know, people always ask me, "Hey, what is the the World Series of fantasy or the Super Bowl of fantasy football?" And it's easy. It's the FFPC, the Fantasy Football Players Championship. It's a six million dollar prize pool, and they've had their never too early best ball leagues cranking. Since February, so the FFPC is the answer to so many questions. Hey, hey, where's the best place to get a dynasty orphan? Well, you can adopt a dynasty orphan at the FFPC. That's why we partner with them. If you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, seasonal, best ball, dynasty, go to the FFPC. And don't forget, promo code UNDERWORLD to get you $25 off your first team. $25 off your first team, no matter what team it is, no matter what format it is, at the FFPC, go do it. That's Bijan taking off in round one all the way to the top, is what that sound is. Can't wait for Vegas and the FFPC drafts. Uh, That is going to be an absolute blast. Uh, John, you're, you're making the trek out there this year? Absolutely. Uh, life events got in the way last year, but I will absolutely be there this year. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And guys, you know, first class fantasy, we, we, we're already talking with guys like John. We're planning out our FFPC main events. We're planning out our high stakes leagues. And I think a lot of podcasts these days, you know, I, I have respect for, for tier based drafters. But at the end of the day, tiers aren't really going to win you the money. You want to nail it, especially at certain positions. Uh, you know, just to talk about one of the greatest advantages you can you can get in in a, in high stakes fantasy is having the RB one overall. Last year there was a seventy nine point gap between Austin Eckler, the RB one overall, and RB five overall, Saquon Barkley. Uh, and in twenty twenty one, the gap was even larger. It was a hundred and five point gap between Jonathan Taylor and running back five Leonard Fournette. We've had a lot of go back and forth. There's rumors that Billy might be a Bijan hater. We want to put those to bed, but I first want to put John on the spot here. Who is the RB1 overall this season? It is boring, but it's still Christian McCaffrey for me. And I have heard people cite the splits 
about when Elijah Mitchell was healthy second half of the season, how McCaffrey's touches dipped. And although that did happen in the second half, that is true. I don't think anyone's using context correctly because McCaffrey's touches dipped in the second half of blowouts. Like McCaffrey with the 49ers last year played 98% of first half snaps. There's a reason why he wasn't getting touches in the second half because they were blowing teams out of the way. And so now if you're assuming any more competition, any more competitive games, there's just no way, in my opinion, McCaffrey isn't an every touch back, even with Elijah Mitchell healthy. So for that reason, again, it's not sexy, it's boring, but he's still the RB1 overall for me. Billy Muzio. Uh, 100% agree. Yeah, you know, I, The splits are one thing, and you, you take a look at the way this offense is going to operate this year, right? The quarterback controversy. Uh, what, what are they going to do? They're going to lean on the run game. They're going to lean on the dump offs. They're going to utilize Debo more again. They're going to utilize Christian McCaffrey. Um, I think we can see him used in a wide range inside this, this, this team again here in 2023. Um, when it mattered most right against Philly, he was on the field hundred percent of the time. I mean, hundred percent of snaps that, 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 that blowout game where they lost Brock Purdy. So um, what Daigle said is absolutely accurate. It's hard to compete with a back to compete for the number one spot when you're seeing, you know, a hundred plus targets, you're seeing 240, 250 rushing attempts, right? There's 1800 yards is almost the floor for Christian McCaffrey. If he stays healthy from all purpose yards, because he's going to be so active in the passing game, he's going to be, you know, seeing that 56, 55% of the rushing share on the ground. And so it, it's hard to compete with that from anyone else who's coming in to try to challenge in that number one role. Um, because of the amount of targets that he's going to get, it's automatically going to prop up his PPR value, right? The only other back that's going to see even near the same is Austin Eckler. Um, and 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 if, you know, Kamara stayed healthy and it wasn't suspended, then he could at least be close to that number. But still, he's going to be 20 to 30 targets behind these two. Um, and so I I don't see somebody like Bijan coming in and dethroning him as the number one running back just because of the expected pass volume and and we just it's 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 hard to to beat those numbers from a running back perspective. I think that the that the one like unknown upside thing with McCaffrey, even though he's an older running back, is that this is an entire offseason where he's with the 49ers organization. He was basically learning the playbook on the plane coming from Carolina, uh, and he produced right from the word go. We certainly saw him smash with with Brock Purdy. Like those splits were extremely promising. Uh, for, for, you know, putting up massive, massive numbers with Purdy. I think the only thing that would give me pause and McCaffrey is my RB one overall as well. The only thing that gives me a little bit of pause is over the last 10 years, we have not seen a running back entering year seven uh, perform at, at this level. We've seen two RB one overalls come in year six. It was Eckler last year and it was Jamal Charles way back in 2013. It's pretty much been a younger man's game when you're trying to determine the the RB1 overall. So that gives me slight pause, and I think that people are really betting on, on Eckler and McCaffrey where year seven is a, little, is a little bit tricky. Now, he's a they're both incredible athletes, and they're both pass catchers, so it's potentially less of a breakdown than your traditional between-the-tackles guy, um, but that does give me a little pause. And Billy, that's a nice segue to our next question because right now, Bijan Robinson has steamed up to number seven overall uh, in – the in the FFPC 350s, the the Players Championships, uh, and he's also an underdog has steamed up in, incredibly high. He was already going uh, pretty high before the NFL draft. The top ten draft capital. I mean, I think people are. It's pretty much in fuego for Bijan Robinson. So, 
You've had a little bit of pushback uh, on Twitter <laughs> yesterday. We'll start out with you on this. And then we want to hear from John. Where should drafters be selecting Bijan Robinson? So I- I'm fine like the end of round one, beginning of round two, right? That's that's okay. And I, when I say I'm giving pushback or I'm getting pushback, it's just because I don't like the RB2 price tag, right? I, I, I could see him going more of kind of like the beginning to middle of round two is where I think he should go. I understand he's a generational talent. Love the talent. Just love the fact he's going to get a lot of opportunities on the ground. But in order for him to surpass... Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, and finish in the top. So let's just call it top two. We can even call it top three because last year we had three running backs above 300 fantasy points. In order for that to happen, he's going to need to see one of two things. One, he's going to need to see 300 plus carries and 12 to 1500 yards on the ground, as well as 12 to 15 touchdowns. Or two, he's going to have to see 100 plus targets and 200 plus carries. That's what Christian McCaffrey saw last year was, was one of those categories. That's what Eckler saw last year. That's what Josh Jacobs saw last year. So in order for that to happen, we're going to need to see volume of that magnitude in one of those two categories. The rushing game is more likely than the passing game because the expected pass volume inside of Atlanta is one of the lowest in the NFL. I actually haven't projected for the lowest expected pass volume inside 2023. And so when we talk about his total piece of the pie from a target share standpoint, like I haven't projected for ten percent of the of the total t- targets inside the passing game, you know, but ten percent of four hundred and fifty or four hundred and sixty targets is 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 not going to get you to hundred targets. If this was somebody like the Steelers or somebody like the Chargers who are expected to throw the ball, you know, top ten in the league, I and mean, Chargers are expected to be the number one pass heaviest offense inside the league, then the Chiefs. And so, if you have six hundred to seven hundred passing attempts, then the likelihood of you actually hitting these numbers from a target share standpoint and being involved to get 60, 70 catches, it's more feasible. But to me, in this offense, it's going to have to be on the ground. We don't expect them to be in a situation where they're leading a lot of games to where they're going to be able to just continue to pound the ball. Arthur Smith does like to run, so they're going to just continue to go against the grain and run the ball. But there comes a point where you're going to have to throw the ball if you're down by two scores or down by 10 points, whatever it may be. And so... <clears throat> The path to success, the math would suggest that RB2 is a little rich. Um, I get it. I mean, he could absolutely finish there, but he's going to need to beat out known known players who have already seen this type of workload in the NFL. And I don't think that somebody like Tyler Algiers is going to disappear altogether, right? Yet 27% of the rush share, 25% of the rush share, well within the realm of possibilities, right? It's not going to, you know destroy Bijan Robinson's rushing attempts, but it is going to eat into it slightly. And I understand Cordell Patterson is not in it, you know, a great running back, but he's still a body that's going to be on the field. He's still going to get some opportunities. He's going to get targeted a few times. He's going to take a few rushing attempts. And so everything considered with the expected pass volume that this offense is supposed to have, seeing that they're probably going to be trailing in games, it's unlikely that he's going to finish as RB2, in my opinion. John, talk to me about Bijan. Where are you comfortable taking him? So the way I view Bijan's stock right now is that I 100% have him ahead of Saquon Barkley. It's not even close. And so if I'm saying that and drafting as such, then that automatically makes Bijan a top four, top five running back for me, as Billy said, going at the end of the first round. But the outlook, can he be close to a running back one uh, overall? 
sure based on how many touches he receives. Um, also, as Billy was mentioning, yes, this team led the league in run play rate from neutral game script within six points of their opponent. And we not only expect that to happen, we expect them to have a lot more leads just given how poor their division is. Like they've luck balled into the worst division in all of football. And so just that alone, that we expect them to have more leads, no matter their situation under center, and to continue being a run-heavy team, it of course makes me want to lean into Bijan heavily. So I'm still parsing it through, honestly, but as we already mentioned, he's a top four running back for me. Thus, I don't mind taking him mid-first into first. Um, It really comes down to, do you want him or Stephon Diggs, in my opinion? Because I'm not taking him over Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, or Travis Kelsey, especially in in FFPC scoring. It's not even close. So if that's the case, then yeah, Bijan lands in the in the seven, eighth overall range. So right now, I think his ADP, honestly, is just fine. I think it's totally acceptable. Yeah, and Billy, when we we get into, you know, more and more weeks, we're going to talk about structural builds, you know, ideal starts. But I do think that that the idea of taking Bijan, you know, around seven or eight overall, it opens me up to some of these wide receivers we really like in the second round, um, where I could I can start off with an acre RB in the mid, middle of the first that I feel comfortable about. I'll say... You know, your your target projection of 10%, in order for him to hit RB1 overall, uh, he would have to get 45 to 50 catches. Uh, there's no path where he's going to be a 30-catch guy and hit that that number. But I think that that's, you know, in the realm of possibilities. We we haven't seen, you know, Arthur Smith have... A, a, he's had fantastic success with running backs in his time in Atlanta. He had Cordero Patterson finish as an RB1 his first year there, kind of out of nowhere. And last year, we have a fifth-round pick like Tyler Algier put up 1,000 yards and finished the season extremely strong in our fantasy lineup. So I think when you put this sort of player into a run-heavy coach like like Arthur Smith, uh, we really don't know how it's going to turn out. This is a guy that gave Derrick Henry 378 carries his last year in Tennessee. So I I, I do want to have exposure to Bijan Robinson. Uh, I think that it takes a great leap of faith to take him over an Austin Eckler. But a lot of times when these guys come in, I talked about, you know, the the younger backs are are, are I, it's a better actually a better bet over the last 10 years to bet on a first year guy than a seventh year guy. Uh, and that's kind of the one one big selling point. You know, we saw Saquon Barkley crush his rookie season. We saw Ezekiel Elliott crush his rookie season. And I think that that's very much the possibility for Bijan this year. Um, it's very interesting, though, Billy. It's like it's like steamed up to. Usually it takes the, the the drip of the summer for these guys to settle in this range. Like I remember Zeke, uh, when you talk about like those high stakes drafts, it took a little while for him to settle into like the middle of the first. Saquon, you know, it took a little while for him to settle in at like the 110. But Bijan, it's it's like a, a rocket ship to the moon. Is it unlike anything you've ever seen, John, from a from a running back perspective? I do think it is. And I recently heard the great, Rich Rebar mentioned on a podcast that 30% of so 30 draft capital accounts for 30% of a running back's fantasy points in years one through three. An amazing stat I didn't know until I heard Rich talk about it. And what do we have here? Of course, number eight overall capital and really only a fifth round rookie who was good. Like Algier rushed for a thousand yards, um, but a fifth round, a fifth round player nonetheless, as the only speed bump here ahead of the number eight overall pick in any draft. And so that alone tells me, of course, I want to still be high on Bijan. I, I still want to diversify it, Billy, because like you, I still, I still, I'm trying to wrap my head around it, right? Um, 
And to your point, Theo, I think you're right. It's just a sticker shock. Uh, it's not even that he shouldn't be here. It's just knowing that we haven't seen him play an NFL game yet, even though he is. It's it's true for sure that he is the best prospect at running back since Saquon Barkley. But I think it's just the initial stock that is terrifying, at least. But again, I think it's acceptable. I'm just coming around to the idea of accepting it more than anything. Yeah, for me, like, I think, Diggle, you said RB5 or 4 is where you said yeah. you had him. And I think that's a little bit more realistic, right? When when you see his ADP as RB2, that to me is where I'm just like, enough's enough, right? Like, There's a big difference between RB2 and RB5. And then I get another difference between like RB5 and RB8. And so being an RB1 is like a lock, in my opinion, for B. John Robinson. Like being inside top 10, top 12 running back, absolutely. That jump to two is just the one I can't get over, right? And I think... There's a path to where it can happen, but it's going to take a lot in order for it to go that way. And if people continue in drafting here, I'm a big component and believer, and and I preach about getting value in drafts and and being able to draft people who are going to outperform their ADP in order to to win more leagues. We are drafting Bijan at ceiling, and so if he is going as RB two on average right now, there's only one more spot higher that he can perform in ADP that's going to give you any return on that on 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 that to outperform his ADP. And so I would much rather take a chance of somebody going in like, like uh, let's talk about like Ramondre Stevenson, right? Who's going in the middle of round three, who saw 80 plus targets or, last year. And so to be able for him to come in and, and, and outperform that and then finish as a top five RB potentially, you're getting a lot more value for where you took him in drafts. And so for me, it's just a cost analysis. And I look at it and say, I'm just not willing to pay the price because there's a lot there's a lot of downside involved here that people are just glossing over because of his talent coming out of his prospect talent coming out of college and landing in this situation where he is a top eight pick. And so there is a lot to like about him. I'm not saying that that there isn't, but there is also the flip side of the coin that we have to be concerned about that people aren't discussing. I thought, John, your comment was very interesting because for weeks, Billy and I have had guests on. We've talked about certain things like Bijan versus Jonathan Taylor, which I think was at one time an interesting debate before mm-hmm. before this steam. But you mentioned now it's like Bijan versus Diggs. It's not Bijan versus the running backs. It's Bijan right. versus the opportunity cost of these fantastic players. So like right now, an underdog, he's going between Travis Kelsey and Stefan Diggs. Um, and right now on FFPC, he's like right there with he's almost at like the Tyreek Hill level. So. Mm-hmm. That was that's 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 where we are. That's where we're at, guys. That's where we're at. That, that and that's yes, that's the point I keep coming back to with Bijan is big picture, who would I take him over? Not the running backs. Don't even want to have that conversation. But big picture wide receiver, who did who do you then become t- taking him over? And I think for me, I would take him over Diggs and Devontae Adams. Um, probably not Cooper Cup and Tyreek Hill. Like Tyreek Hill averaged over three yards per out run with two on the field last year. Uh, and they hammered him targets. Like they schemed him a career high in targets. He complained about getting a career high in targets in his final year with Mahomes. They then traded him and he complained properly because he got more targets last year. And that, was with, and that was with Tua injured. So yeah, like I, I think I want to be higher on Tyreek Hill, but that's kind of where I start diversifying and doing knowing I'll play like six to 10 main events. Um, I definitely will go like, half Tyreek, half Bijan, and go from there. Love the six to 10 main event flex too, John. That was, I loved, I love getting that in there. That was awesome. Well, we're partners. I, I get a couple of them. Like it's not just me. Don't worry. It's not no, no, wallet. no, yeah. 100% guy. John's a, John is a great, great drafter. Um, I wanted, that's a great segue though, John, because right now I think that 
the we can all agree that people are uh, have a little trepidation with the running back position kind of what after we get a below like kind of the, the Saquon level. Um, there's the running backs that Billy and I have talked about for weeks, like the Ramondres, the Tony Pollards that you get a little bit later. But the middle of the second round um, from excuse me, the the middle of the first round down to the middle of the second in early FFPC 350s is a complete wide receiver zone. And they almost go in a row. So this is another thing where we talk about we want to nail the wide receiver position. We don't want to just dive into this tier and say, hey, I want to get one of these guys or two of these guys. So, John, uh, wide receivers four through 12 are so close in ADP right now. This range has kind of given us these big league winners, too. So this is very important. Diggs, CeeDee Lamb, Cooper, Cooper Cup, A.J. Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, Devontae Adams, Garrett Wilson, Jalen Waddle, and I'm missing one here, guys. Uh, who am I missing, Billy? Devonta Smith. Devonta yeah. Smith usually climbs into that tier. So we're talking about a really big range here. John, give me the one guy you really want from this this group of wide receivers, and give me one that you think could really fail um, or potentially uh, be a purgatory guy, at least at this selection. So one you're highest on, one, one you're lowest on. Um, and I could read them again if you'd like. No, 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 it's good. Um, Cooper Cup is quite easily the one, and, and you'll see in my best ball tiers next week at four, four. I have him in the same tier, actually, as Jamar Chase. And I'm trying to parse if I want Cup as wide receiver two overall, because overall, I'm going to be higher on the Rams' passing game this year, not only because their defense is an absolute disaster, especially after trading Jalen Ramsey. I mean, it's 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 basically second to the Cardinals' defense in terms of the worst defenses in the league. But also... The Rams offense is now being double discounted when the discount happened last year and people were incorrectly drafting them. Like Stafford, remember, two years ago, Stafford threw 13 touchdowns on only 19 throws inside the five-yard line. And so we knew passing touchdown and just regression overall was going to happen last season. And it happened via injury, but Stafford, of course, passing touchdown regression happened. Cooper Cup, though, and those six games, those six full starts from Stafford was amazing. He was on pace to outscore Justin Jefferson in terms of points per game as a fantasy wide receiver one. And those six games, Cooper Cup went over 100 yards in five of them and averaged double-digit targets in all six games. So uh, I Cooper Cup with Stafford and an offense that now is going too undervalued, I think is the real steal here. Uh, when, again, he was egregiously drafted, Stafford in general, last year. And so I want to bet on the Rams passing attack. But the one that dips for me, honestly, is probably Jalen Waddle if only because he does continue being treated as like a wide, as like the A, what am I looking for? Uh, the wide receiver B to Tyreek Hill, but it's not. It's actually like Tyreek Hill is wide receiver two and finishing top five in percentage of teams targets among all wide receivers last year. And then you have to dip all the way down to 17% of the team's targets with Jalen Waddle. Like it's not even close the way they treat Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Waddle is clearly a wide receiver two who does not compete as a wide receiver one on that team. So unless you're trying to double stack in with Tua, which as we know for redraft, we're not doing that so much for best ball. Yes, but redraft, I don't mind missing out on that. Um, Waddle's probably the one that you lose me a little bit on. Yeah, so for me, the one that I feel really strong on, and I hope I'm not stealing Billy's answer, but it's CeeDee Lamb. Like, I love I love CeeDee Lamb this year. I, we started seeing CeeDee Lamb take that step last year, and I also love the fact that with Dalton Schultz gone and the question marks they have at the tight end position, 
I think that there's an opportunity where CeeDee Lamb uh, starts being used more heavily in the red zone, that he's like their red zone attack. Uh, so I'm I'm big, big on CeeDee Lamb this year. I think he could even take a step forward. If it's not a uh, Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson finishing as the wide receiver one overall, I think it could be CeeDee Lamb this year. So I'm big in on him. And I really hate to poke holes um, at trying to find the guy uh, that's going to fail out of this group because I like a lot of them. And I think I have like uh, a lot of priors on these guys, but it's more likely if we're looking at it in a historical context, it's the guys that have gained so much uh, steam from their ADPs last year. So those would be Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, Garrett Wilson, and Amon Ross St. Brown. One of those four is probably going to be the one that's going to, that's going to not return value and not returning value there could mean that this player finishes like wide receiver 18 overall. But if they finish wide receiver 18 and you're drafting them at this sort of range, that really, really hurts your build and it hurts your wallet. So I'm going to go ahead and say, as much as it hurts me to say this, it's a guy that I've drafted a number of times over, sort of similar to your Jill and Waddle argument, Devonta Smith, uh, I think could be a guy that fails, that fails to hit these big numbers just because it's AJ Brown uh, year two there. Maybe they have an, an even bigger path for a, for AJ Brown. You also saw Devonta Smith put up a, a lot of a lot of fantasy points in the weeks that Dallas Goddard was out. Maybe Dallas Goddard stays healthy for the year. I, I'm not going to say Garrett Wilson because I know that's like the, the I'm never going to talk bad about Garrett Wilson. This is a Garrett Wilson show, Billy, and no <laughs> one's allowed to talk bad about Garrett Wilson on this show. So you did take one of my guys. It was not Lamb, although I like Lamb this year. Um, I'll start with the one I like, and then I'll touch base on Devonta Smith just to piggyback off what you said. Um, for me, the one I'm absolutely loving at cost right now is Amon Ross St. Brown, right? It came in even in his rookie year, had 119 targets last year, 146 targets. Um, we have no more Swift here, right? We have Jamison Williams suspended six games. Um, there's a lot of opportunity here in the passing game for him to really take on a, even a larger role than what he saw last year. And even last year, he was, you know, wide receiver eight in targets. He was wide receiver three in target rate at 32.3%. Um, you know, he's surprisingly used a lot in the red zone as well with 21 red zone targets last year, which was wide receiver eight. Um, with the suspension with Jamison Williams, that really opens up six games of just dominating the target share in this offense. Uh, and I bumped him up to 29% of the target share, which is huge, right? Prior to that, he was about 26 and a half, 27%. And so, like, I haven't projected for right now 170 targets, so which is a lot, but I think that this offense is designed to be playing, you know, at a level that we are saw at the end of the stretch. Like we saw them playing exceptionally well down the stretch in 2022. I think they won. I think it was like seven out of eight games or whatever the number was. But Amon Ross St. Brown is the focal point of this offense. They have, you know, rookie tight end that's going to be coming in. That's going to be taking time to develop, to learn the playbook, to get to know the, the blocking schemes, to learn his route, his, his routes. They brought on Marvin Jones, who, I've always been a Marvin Jones fan, but let's face it, he's at the tail end of his career and is not going to command the target share that he once commanded. And so from there, yes, they drafted Jameer Gibbs. They brought in David Montgomery, who's also capable in the past in, in, in the passing game. But Amon Ross St. Brown, outside of Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond, doesn't really have any competition in the first six weeks. So I think he's set up for a massive workload in the first half of the season. I still think he'll be utilized heavily through the end of the season. So absolutely loving Amon Ross St. Brown at cost right now. Um, to piggyback off what you said with Devonta Smith, um, he's the one that I've kind of, you would have asked me this question 
six weeks ago, I wouldn't have mentioned his name. But with the addition of Swift, the fact that people are forgetting that Dallas Goddard played, you know, was injured last year for a stretch as well. There's a lot of things that are just I can see the cards not aligning the way they did last year for Devonta Smith. When we talk about expected pass rate, again, this is a team that's in the bottom seven, bottom eight of the league. And so um, they're going to be in favorable game scripts. They're going to be running the ball more. They they have a good offensive line. They have a running quarterback. So there is there is some cause for concern with his cost and, and ADP, although I think he's an exceptional player and a, and a great talent. And I think that he could absolutely pay off dividends where, where he's going in ADP. I'm definitely mixing in exposure. Out of the names you mentioned, I could see where he is actually going to be disappointing folks. I keep coming around also, Theo, to T. Higgins as a riser um, because Hayden Hurst finished ninth among all tight ends in target share last year, 15.5% of Cincinnati's targets. And everyone assumes like Irv Smith will then just be a second-year contract athletic tight end who falls into that role. What if the targets just go to the better players? What if the targets just go to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins? So Higgins is another one I kind of want to be ahead of. Like I want Higgins ahead of Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. And then Billy and I have talked, have talked at length. We highly recommend that you check out last week's episode where we talked a lot about DeAndre Swift. We touched base a little bit more on Chris Olave, who we're both very high on. John, I want to get your opinion uh, quickly on Chris Olave, who's a guy that, you know, we could make an argument for him to be in this mix with these guys. Are you as bullish on Olave? Yes, he he actually, his target share increased nearly 10% whenever... Jarvis Landry, oddly enough, was off the field. Uh, we don't know. We don't know what to do with Michael Thomas. But at the same time, like I would like to, even in still drafting Michael Thomas at some point in some drafts, bet bet drafting Chris Olave is also a bet against Michael Thomas because we're expecting him to soak up this massive amount of target share in year two. So yeah, it's almost like you're drafting Olave because both Landry and Thomas may not be there. And so, of course, I want to be ahead of that. There's a real chance that uh, Olave could lead all wide receivers in targets because at least finish top three, top four in targets. And I don't think that's being accounted for by a lot of people. So, of course, I want in on Olave. Olave or T. Higgins? <sighs> it's, gosh, it's still T. Higgins for me. He's still playing in the much more potent offense, the better quarter with the much better quarterback. And he'll get shootouts uh, since the Bengals, we're going to see the schedule, but they usually throw the Bengals against the Bills and Chiefs just because it's, it's prime time fodder. People love that stuff. And so I still want Higgins, but it's close. It's very close. So I want to show Daigle. I love what you said. T Higgins should be in the conversation with Garrett Wilson and Jalen Waddle in that tier. Yep. And just real quick, I'm going to pop it up on the screen so everybody can see here and I'll, I'll get us um, removed here. Let me zoom in so people can see this. But we, I actually have T. Higgins right above Garrett Wilson and Jalen Waddle. I'm right behind Chris Olave. So right there, neck and neck. Yeah, that's that was my big sigh. It's like they really are neck and neck. Yeah, let me fix the screen now that I jacked this all up. <laughs> that's like the the Higgins versus Olave one. That's like it's saying both is such a cop out. But I'll have exposure to both. But if I was drafting a single team, I'm gonna go with Olave just because I think you referenced. There's still like a lot of unknown upside there. T. Higgins happens to play with, you know, one of the top two receivers in the league in my book in, in Jamar Chase. So I think he's slightly, slightly capped from ever getting that incredible target uh, season. But hey, if 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 T. Higgins ever gets 150 yard, excuse me, 150 target season, I mean, wheels up, wheels up for him right there. It's, um, the, it's the Bengals the are 
are still, you know, top three in the league and expected pass volume. And so I think there's enough to support two wide receiver ones in this offense. I I love the cost on Higgins this year. Like I got him at 310 in a FFPC best ball the other day. It's and the like, conversation I always hate having, Billy, because like I know it's our jobs to decipher these things, like the wide receiver 10 or wide receiver 11. But when people ask me most of the time, I'm like, you're never going to figure it out. They're so close. Yeah, so just take one and go outside under the sun. Yeah, just go live yeah. a little bit. I tell people to flip coins. Like, yeah, just, that's okay. So it's, it's the same. Flip a coin and go enjoy the sun. Yeah. yeah. I always I always think back. It's it's the the <laughs> scenario that that motivates for getting this one right is the Robert Woods Cooper Cup 2021 neck oh. and neck in ADP. And this whole like, I'll take one. I'll take the other. Uh, that that kind of like we gotta have we gotta we gotta make we gotta we gotta plant flags guys we got a couple months to do so that, but the flag planting's coming that same year was also um the Debo Ayuk uh, conversation because go Bills because of course had both Debo and Cup that year and it was Jamar Chase uh, and T and T Higgins where T Higgins yep. was going ahead of Chase and because that was Chase a, couldn't catch a football in August yeah the drops drops Twitter got everybody a little bit on that one <laughs> um, that was a great great year. So last year, we actually had a unbelievable season out of Josh Jacobs that sort of snuck up on everybody. Now he's kind of a guy that, you know, kind of lacks buzz. He settled in. He's going in the mid second round, but there's not a whole lot of people like, you know, taking huge stances on him. Uh, If anything, he's been the kind of guy that I think has been like kind of a sharp fade for a lot of people for regression. John, is that the correct approach? How are you treating Josh Jacobs? That's the way I came into the season wanting to handle it. Um, Because last year was outlier numbers, including Jacobs. Only five running backs over the last decade have reached 390 touches. And the four running backs prior to Jacobs, they didn't reach the, the highest number they got to was 311 touches the following season. And even then, you have to, it's a small sample, yes, but even then you have to dance around the numbers because that was Le'Veon Bell who held out after 390 plus touches and then came back for the Jets and handled 311. But overall, it just goes to show you that it's just such a hard number to reach. And so we don't want to bet on that kind of volume again because it just doesn't happen in the league. So if, if that's the case, then yes, I would want to fade him. But as you've seen right now, sometimes he falls to the end of the second round and around that range, especially when you start talking about Travis Etienne and others there, I think, well, like I might as well buy that dip because it seems like good enough volume for a backfield that didn't change at all and added no competition. Billy, before it's you funny, answer, real quick, uh, I, I'm actually curious. You mentioned about the the following year. Do yeah. you know off the top of your head, outside Le'Veon Bell, did the other ones get ex- contract extensions? Oh, I do not know that. Um, Demarco Murray though did go to the Eagles, so he got a new yep. contract because the Cowboys didn't want to pay him post Correct. that. M- massive volume year and he only handled 237 touches under chip kelly that season i'm curious to see if they go if it coincides with contracts and them not wanting to you know burn the tread off the tire where like we see and I, i'm not a big jacobs fan to begin with but he's in like you said he's in the same situation the same backfield without any touch competition and he's again playing on a one-year deal where he has to go out and play for another contract again mm-hmm. they don't have any say of hey we got to protect him for the next four years so they could technically just run him into the ground again and give him another 350 carries. I, I don't I don't think it'll happen, but it's it's definitely like possible inside this world that that can happen again. 
And again, it's it's a small sample, so we still need to be careful here. But I actually don't think it's a coincidence as well that when these massive volume years happen, injuries also are prone to happen the following year. Like Christian yeah. McCaffrey following 390 touches, played three games the following season. Derrick Henry, who was an outlier in terms of injury, all of a sudden wasn't. That's the year he only, he only played eight games and had the foot injury because I I believe, at least I connect the dots saying, because he handled so many touches the previous year so. Yeah, of course, Jacobs is a violent runner and early in his career was injury prone. I, I think it's a good situation to fade unless he falls to a situation where he's a value. Yeah, it's, it, I'm, I'm with you guys. I mean, it's where he's going in drafts. It's kind of hard, kind of hard to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. I just find that it's interesting. And it, it's when you look at like FFPC drafters are taking him slightly ahead of of some of these running backs. But just looking at how underdog drafters are treating Josh Jacobs after his smash season. Like Chubb's going ahead of him, Pollard's going ahead of him, Derrick Henry's going ahead of him, and he's like neck and neck with with uh, Brees Hall, who's coming off of an injury. So uh, it kind of just shows to get shows how savvy drafters are getting, where they're not chasing last year's points. It's just a very very interesting to me. I would have thought that a lot of these early drafters, especially in in underdog, would have been kind of chasing it uh, closer to the end of of round one than kind of where he's settled in it settled into. Um, and then again, another player that Billy and I touched base on a lot last week was DeAndre Swift. John, what's your expectations for Swift um, in his new stomping grounds in Philadelphia? Honestly, I'm still trying to figure out like everyone else, um, especially because Rashad Penny is roughly making $1.4 million on a one-year prove-it deal. Like They didn't give him any amount of money when that's the player I actually want to bet on. Swift also, I believe they didn't only trade for him based on what he's capable of, but like remember... They get a compensatory pick if he leaves, which he will next offseason because they won't re-sign him. So I almost think, just think it was savvy business move as opposed yeah. to actually liking what the player can do. So I, I think it's going to be a committee at the end of the day. What we're really asking is Swift going to take Kenneth Gainwell's role. Um, so that's what I keep coming back to. But I, I don't want to value Swift like too highly because I, I don't think he was traded for that reason. Fifth round Swift, will you have any? A few shares. Even that might be rich, though. That might be rich. But a couple shares. Billy, anything to add on, on Swift? I know we touched based on him last week, but uh, maybe you could kind of share with John wh- wh- how you're projecting that backfield to break down. <laughs> it's kind of a mess. Yeah, it I mean, is. I'll, it's an I'll, ugly mess. <laughs> it's an ugly mess. I, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the same side as, as, as John here. Let me pull up that, that division real quick. So I have it pulled up. Um, <laughs> DeAndre Swift at 25.5% of the rush share, which is 135 carries roughly. Gainwell at about 17%, which is 87 rushing attempts, which would be a career high for him. Uh, Boston Scott still at 3%. Rashad Penny at 27.5%. So no running back right now projected for over 30% of the rushing share. And then you get the passing game. The problem is, is that Kenneth Gainwell is also good in the passing game, and he gained the trust of the coaches in the playoffs last year. So he's going to be involved. He's not just going to disappear. So even giving Swift you know, 9.5% target share we still have to give Gainwell about five percent Rashad Penny one percent so the running game itself on the ground is going to be messy I think Swift will carve out more of a role in the air versus these other two backs but Gainwell will still be involved it's just going to I'm going to curious where the difference is going to be and I think where he could actually give you value is if they one if Penny gets hurt right which is always within the realm of possibilities Mm -hmm. Um, it just depends on when it happens 
Um, but two, it's how are they going to utilize these three backs in the red zone? Because they always rotate backs in the red zone. We saw Boston Scott come in and bolster touchdowns last year. We saw Sanders involved in the red zone. Gainwell was surprisingly heavily involved inside the red zone. So if they keep this three-headed now, maybe possibly four-headed rotation in the red zone between Scott, Gainwell, Swift, and Penny, it could be a nightmare for fantasy purposes. Um, and to outperform where he's going at cost right now, it's it's kind of it's kind of a little steep of an ask in my opinion. So I think it's going to have to be in the passing game if he is going to do it, and he's going to have to just break away runs and get touchdowns because when they get in the red zone, it's going to be running back roulette. He definitely will have opportunities for touchdowns in this offense, and he's the sort of player that's commanded targets. So I don't necessarily buy into the notion that uh, Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni are, are not going to utilize him as a receiver. I think he's a talented guy. Fifth round, I agree with you, John. It's not going to be a guy I draft every time, but I'll have some. If he schemes up so, to the fourth, I'm out. So can I get into the Jalen Hurts conversation? Because I, I think it actually ties into DeAndre Swift. It does. Uh, and also why A.J. Brown is very high on my list. I think I'll have him ahead of Stephon Diggs, actually, in my <laughs> rankings. Because we are betting on competition for the Eagles this year. Like last year, the Eagles trailed for a league low 19% of second half plays because they played the league's easiest strength of schedule. They played absolutely no one. That's also why Hertz averaged 19 and a half first half attempts per game compared to only 11 attempts in the second half of games because they could scale it back. But if we're already saying right now, just based on Vegas win totals, for instance, we're already saying, okay, they played last year's easiest schedule, but now it's projected as the median middle of the road, 16th toughest or easiest strength of schedule. However you want to phrase it. If, it, if it's already increasing in terms of competition, not only that, but they were one of only two offenses over the last 12 years to score 30 rushing touchdowns. If we expect that number to regress as well, it kind of all adds up to more passing volume for Jalen Hurts in competition in competitive games. And if that's the case, then that probably is also a boon for DeAndre Swift. And so that's kind of what I keep trying to wrap my head around is that passing regression is really the reason to get higher on Swift. I love that. Um, and a shout out to Nick Bertram in the chat. Billy saying he wants to hear a fantasy channel talk about Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. Billy and I, uh, we're running pure in first class fantasy. We've spent multiple episodes going over this. We are both on Antonio Gibson as the better value and a guy that we really, really like uh, at, in terms of ADP with Eric Bieniemy taking over as offensive coordinator. John, lightning round at cost, Brian Robinson or Antonio Gibson for your builds. Ron Robinson trusted him for 18 carries per game whenever he was healthy. Uh, I know Chris Rodriguez. Yes, in the chat. I know we're laughing, but they did say they had a third round grade on Chris Rodriguez. I went on previous shows pre-draft and said my favorite last round pick was Chris Rodriguez because he seemed like a kind of guy NFL people love. And of course, he's a Ron Rivera guy, like a 20 carry, two yard per carry kind of guy. That's who Chris <laughs> Rodriguez is. Ron Rivera Ron, loves that shit. Ron Rivera loves those backs that are not yeah. that talented, but they don't fumble. <laughs> And then he'll like Antonio Gibson will have like a 26 point fantasy week the week before, and then he'll cough one up and, and he'll be talking about him as a punt returner. So uh, we, we love it. But yeah, Nick, so definitely, def, Nick, definitely <laughs> check out our previous episodes. Billy and I have gone over a lot of these kind of like skanky backfields uh, and trying to extract back value from them. So the third round, guys, in these 350s has become a quasi running back round. Uh, we're seeing Derrick Henry sometimes slide in there. Once in a while, aside in the second, but let's call him an early third. Ramondre Stevenson, uh, the suddenly banged up Ken Walker, who Billy has a fourth round share of right now in some best ball tournaments. But let's call a him a round share the other day. Let's call him a third rounder for this <laughs> mental exercise. Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Jameer Gibbs. 
Uh, we're seeing these guys all kind of go in this round. So much like our wide receiver conversation um, in the mid first to the mid second, we want to really nail this. John, give me your favorite player at cost of this group of running backs. Uh, and give me your least favorite player as well. Did you have ETN in that group or is he the tier is, ahead? So it's, I'll say it one more time. It's, it's Derek Henry. It's Ramondre Stevenson, Ken Walker, Najee Harris, Jameer Gibbs, Travis Etienne. So out of that group, Najee Harris is my favorite. And it's because they have pretty much catered to him this offseason. Like, remember, assistant Steelers GM Andy Weidel came out in the post-draft conference and said, like, we have emphasized wanting to be a bigger physical team this offseason. And so far, they've done that. They committed $32 million guaranteed in free agency to two new starting offensive linemen, uh, Isaac Ciamolo and Nate Herbig, and then also jumped up ahead of the Jets for their favorite player in a new left tackle, Broderick Jones. They still have Dan Moore on the roster, but Dan Moore was so bad last year. I would imagine Broderick Jones, just with the number 14 capital alone, starts immediately. And I know we all love Darnell Washington as like a receiving threat, but Darnell Washington is a big blocking tight end. Like that's what yep. he does best. Six foot seven, 265 pound. And so also added him with day two capital. And remember Najee Harris post by from week 10 on after he got over that ankle injury, he averaged 21 touches per game and was far more explosive. Top 10 in EPA per play among all running backs in that span as well. And so I do think with better offensive linemen play, they have kind of emphasized wanting to lean on Harris all over again. Like Jalen Warren's fun. And he's going to be amazing if Harris is ever injured and actually sits out, whereas last year he played through injury. But Harris is still the guy you want, who was going, remember, as a first-round run a player last year, even though we all knew that was the most egregious pick all offseason was Najee Harris in the first round. But now we're actually getting this like fifth, sixth-round discount on him. So, yeah, I like Harris quite a bit. Uh, Billy, before you answer with the one you like, I'm going to have a special rule for you. It has to be one that's not your favorite besides Ramondre Stevenson. <laughs> How did you know? Because this is a run. This is a Ramondre Stevenson show, um, but we're going to take it out of there, Billy. Give give everybody your favorite just, running back besides Ramondre in this group. Okay, I'll just want to one little stat. Ramondre Stevenson had 89 targets last year. It's sneaky that no one thinks about. He was RB three in targets last year, and they didn't add anybody. So he's in line for another big role. So it was going to be Ramondre Stevenson. So now you have to read me the names again because I was already prepared to talk about Ramondre. Okay, so it's Derrick Henry, Ken Walker, Najee Harris, Jameer Gibbs, Travis Etienne. Give me one you like from that group. <sighs> Dagle already said Najee, and I agree on Najee. Um, so I'm going to just uh, I'm gonna just add another name in the hat here, and I want to talk about Kenneth Walker because now you can get him in round five. And so I understand they added... Charbonnet here. This offense, though, in general, I think is is going to be leaning more on the run game. I don't think they want to have to continue to rely on Geno Smith. Yes, they just resigned him. He was very efficient last year, but I do think regression is is due for him here in 2023. I think they're going to lean more on two running back, you know, but I don't think that Ken Walker just going to disappear. And so now that you can get him in round five, like it presents itself as a value. Like I was totally against Ken Walker when he was going in the middle of round two. I didn't like it, didn't like what his cost was, loved the upside, loved his breakaway rate, loved how how many he was, you know, just breaking off huge chunk runs. But the fact that you can get him in round five now, I mean, I think now the hate's gone too far. I think that people, it's dynasty season, the rookies are hyped. It's now, you know, going into against people who have a proven record. And I know that we've only seen the one year from him, but he he looked really good last year. And so I, I expect him to continue to get the bulk of the carries. 
Um, I don't think it's going to change much. You threw me off the O because I was already prepared to talk about Ramondre Stevenson, but the next man up is going to be Walker. <laughs> I'm, throw, I'm throwing curveballs here at First Class Fantasy at Billy. Just keep him on his toes. Um, I'll say I like your answer, John, a lot on Najee Harris. I think that, like, if you look at his season in in context for for the the splits, like you know, I think people might be underrating him a little bit. I also like the the draft pick of of Darnell Washington, how they can utilize him as a blocker as well. But for me, uh, friend and and Billy, your your Ken Walker, uh, you know, me, our first guest was JJ Zachariason, and we were all talking about how overrated he is. Now yeah. he ends up in the dead zone, kind of where he kind of belonged the whole time, and he does have a little bit more appeal there. I worry about. Does Pete get cute? Does one get does Charbonnet get the goal line work somehow? Does Charbonnet get the two minute offense work? To me, it's just kind of a mess. I hope we have a little more clarity as the summer goes along. Uh, but my pick out of this group is going to be Jameer Gibbs. Dead zone running back, I want to bet on young running backs with pass catching ability. We talked at length about Gibbs last last week on first class fantasy. Uh, I think that you know Billy has him right around running back 18. But if he beats Billy's uh, projections by 10%, you're talking about running back 14 land. Um, And I think we also have with Jameer uh, Jameer Gibbs the opportunity to get off to a very, very fast start. Um, No Jamison Williams there. They're breaking in a rookie tight end. Uh, I think like when you guys know it, when we're in Vegas, there's always one guy on Thursday night whose stock soars. And I think it's going to be Jameer Gibbs. I think he's going to have like a a nine catch game against the Chiefs. (laughs) It's the first thing I thought of when I saw the schedule, Theo. It's like, oh, (laughs) Jameer Gibbs is the first-round player on on Saturday. There's no doubt about it. Get ready for it, guys. So get your Jameer Gibbs uh, shares in early because if you're a late drafter like we are, you're going to be priced out. And it's probably going to end up being a mistake pick too, John, because he won't be able to to hold that up. But like you can just see it. Chiefs are beating the hell out of them. Second half, Jameer Gibbs has like seven catches in the second half. And people start losing their mind. So, and there's just so much volume there. Like, I don't want, and I, I respect the money they gave to David Montgomery. I respect what David Montgomery does as a master of nothing, but can actually just kind of do it all well enough to stay on the field. But at the same time, there's so many touches there. Like, literally, lead the league in carries missing from last year, running back touches missing from last year, and most importantly, a hundred percent of their carries from inside the five-yard line all absent. We assume it'll be David Montgomery after he got that $18 million contract. But at the same time, maybe it just does all, or at least some of it, a majority of it, fall to Gibbs. So it's just a chance I'm willing to bet on, not thinking I already have the microanalysis figured out in May of Montgomery just being this person who can't be moved at all. I want to quickly talk about the tight end position. Um, Guys, we often talk about like, the tight end dead zone. It's usually like tight end six through tight end, like 18. A lot of times guys get pushed up. Uh, maybe young players were a little too excited about, even though Billy and I do like a couple of those young tight ends this year, but I want to go dumpster diving with you guys. Who is the, we're going to take a look at tight ends. Let's call them the, the low end tight end twos to the uh, higher end tight end uh, threes. These guys all have a, an ADP of like 137 to 178 in these three fifties. Tyler Higby. Irv Smith, Sam Laporta, Mike Jacecki, Michael Mayer, Dawson Knox, Jake Ferguson, Trey McBride, Gerald Everett. Does a player in that group stand out to you, John, or is this a group you're just completely grossed out by? To me, it's Tyler Higby. That's the one I keep coming back to because, again, going back to what I talked about with the Rams offense, just betting on them to be better and always having to pass the ball because their defense is so bad. So, 
with an ambiguous situation at their wide receiver two spot, I, I kind of think that Higby can quite easily finish second on the team and target. So that's why I just keep betting on Higby at that range. Top five because, tight end last year. Also because you didn't mention Jawan Johnson, who's like my favorite pick right now. I, I take him in the later rounds every single time. I love that one. Uh, Johnson's, Johnson's definitely an interesting one. I believe he's going right ahead of this group. Correct <clears> me if I'm wrong, Billy. I think, I think it surged. I think it surged yeah. post draft since obviously the the Adam Troutman trade. Yeah, you, you might see it start to regress now with the Foster Moreau news. It's, so you might get him back here shortly. Billy, I know there's a guy you like on this list. <laughs> Do you want to throw the name out? Who who, who is it? Gerald Everett. <laughs> That's right. It, for me, it just it, it breaks down to just the amount of volume that we're going to see inside the, this this passing game. Right. We Justin Herbert last year threw the ball 699 times with, you know, a jacked up shoulder, a broken rib. Previous year, he threw the ball 672 times. Um, expected pass volume right now for me and for projections as the number one in the NFL. I have him one spot ahead of Kansas City. So the Chargers expected to be the pass heaviest offense in the league. Love the fact they brought in Kellen Moore from Dallas, who I think was, you know, definitely an error to let him go. But great. He gets to land inside the Chargers offense and has weapons to, to play with. Um, Gerald Everett last year, you know, pretty sneaky finished as tight end 11 in fantasy points per game. We saw him with 58 receptions last year, 87 targets. Again, this is a volume play, right? Yeah. He, he had a lot of drops. He sucks. Like it drops. Like if he, if he can just fix that, I don't think he's even in this tier anymore. And so I'm, I'm hoping he worked on his hands a little bit in the off season, but this, this, this tier in, in particular, I don't think anyone else is going to hit even close to 80 to 90 targets in this tier. And and this is with well within the realm of possibilities for Everett just based on the volume. I mean, I just pulled up the projections here. Um, I have him for a pretty modest 12% target share here, and it's 84 targets of this offense. And that's with them adding Quentin Johnson. They still have Palmer there. We all know that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams have a chance to get injured any given year with their lower body extremities they always have. And so um, who knows what's going to happen with Eckler if Eckler decides not to, not to play. And I'm, this is a big what if, right? I don't know. We're kind of playing in Never Everland right now. But if he does, that's going to open up another 100 targets. And so there's a lot of paths to success here for Gerald Everett to outperform ADP. Permar uh, in the chat mentioned Sam Laporta. And that's when I, I keep him and Luke Musgrave. I kind of keep trying to wrap my head around because uh, the easy explanation is day two rookie tight end like that that's mm-hmm. that's all you can say and then you probably don't want to take part in it but at the same time like the Lions are never cited as winners of that tg hawkinson trade but no one had more touchdowns from tight ends than the lions over the second half of the season it, it happened across three different guys but like <laughs> yeah. the lions the lions won just as much of that trade as the vikings did in making that deal because they also got that production and they didn't have to pay tg hawkinson either and so although even in that span the second half of the year it was the third lowest rate of targets to tight ends they were they produced in the red zone and they were schemed in the red zone so much. It kind of does make me want to be a little bit higher as a tight end too on Laporta. Yeah, Laporta. I like Laporta. We talked about him live on the projections. We were updating projections live as the picks were coming in, and it was a name that we circled because the landing spot, like we said earlier, Jamison Williams spent his six games. There's a yeah. lot of available targets here in this offense. He's going to step into the immediate tight end one role, as you said. They were playing tight end roulette last year. It was screwing up everybody's rankings and projections on fantasy pros because they would catch one catch or two catches for 25 yards and a touchdown to finish the tight end one. They were outside everybody's top 30. My favorite, and- <laughs> my favorite was James Mitchell three touchdown week and everyone chased it. And then literally the next week, Brock Wright had three touchdowns. It's like, yeah. yes, 
<laughs> it's that's just, like don't chase touchdowns, chase usage. Yeah, it's, it's it's it was a nightmare. But Laporta is in a in a great situation to to you know exceed expectations, especially if he can carve out that role in the first six weeks that Jamison Williams is suspended and he can carry that momentum on throughout the season. It's a big ask from a rookie, but based upon their current roster, it's definitely possible. Love love uh, the Laporta talk, John. I made a big trade for Laporta in our Black Crown Dynasty League that we're in against one another. Um, and I, I like your call on Tyler Higby. I like <laughs> Billy's call on Gerald Everett, who's the cheapest one. I really like the talent of Laporta. But for some reason, I can't keep getting away from Mike Giusecki having a, a career renaissance in New England. There's so much potential for him to, to develop a nice target share there. Um, and he gets uh, you know reunited with the coach who recruited him as a high school athlete. And Bill O'Brien, he's got a connection, um, and this is this is it for him. You know, he had the the really nice couple of seventy catch years. Then he regressed last year in terms of usage. Now he lands in division. Uh, I like I like his potential in that offense. Uh, kind of similar to your to your Higby last year, John, where there's just such an a, a available amount of targets where he could just be a weekly floor guy, and he suddenly ends the year. He's like tight end ten. Um, I want to quickly we're, we reach an hour here. We have one more cluster of players. I want to get a lightning round from you, John, here. There's these back-end RB2s that are going from the end of the fifth round to the end of the sixth round. Who is your favorite ADP value right now from Cam Akers, Rashad White, Damian Pierce, DeAndre Swift, Isaiah Pacheco, Joe Mixon, and Miles Sanders? Sanders is the most expensive Rashad White is the least expensive of the group, but they're all going pretty much in a line. And what's funny is that uh, I do think Sanders is, well, if if we're assuming Mixon is on the team, which I think we're late enough into this process yeah. and there's just no one there, like they're not going to lean on a, a fifth round running back who doesn't play special teams. Like that's what I also worry about Chase Brown, even at this time of the year when we're trying to draft like the contingency option, just in case, like, if Mixon is still there, will Chase Brown even be active since in the playoffs? Remember, Travion Wooms was their primary kick returner. Chris Evans was their primary punt returner. Those two guys are going to be active on game day. So I worry about Chase Brown as the contingency player. So instead, although they are opposite ends of the spectrum and maybe even priced correctly, I do want to be higher on Miles Sanders and I want to be lowest uh, on Rashad White. Sanders in particular, the drumbeat just gets louder all offseason long. Deuce Staley earlier this offseason mentioned Sanders wanting to return to being a three-down back again. That's how they want to use him. Sanders post-draft came out and said he does actually want to be featured in the passing game more since he had that 10% target share as a rookie, but his target share dipped every progressively every single season over the last four years with the Eagles. And I do think the last two seasons, you can actually just attribute that to a rushing quarterback in Jalen Hurts since we know rushing quarterbacks uh, target their running backs at the lowest rate. But at the same time, since everyone's doing this, mentioning this, uh, it's important to also remember that Scott Fitterer came out post-draft and said also he thinks Sanders can be a three-down option and be used in the outlet game. So everyone that matters in Carolina is harping, saying this running back that we gave a four-year contract to, no other running back in the market got four years, but we gave this guy four years. Like, we want him to be a three-down guy, and no one's listening in fantasy. So, yeah, I want to go right back to Miles Sanders. And Miles Sanders was actually a three-down back his rookie year. Like, people yeah. forget that he had 50 receptions. He just wasn't utilized in that capacity once they had a rushing quarterback and and they were, you know, using him in the in the running game as well and not throwing the ball as much. So I can definitely see a scenario where where my where Miles Sanders is is taking on that three down role again. Um we I just talked about Joe Mixon yesterday in man versus machine. 
Theo, because as John just said, like he tried everything in his power to get fired this offseason, and he hasn't been right. All the legal issues that we saw, the new the the word about them possibly going to be releasing him. But as here we are, you know, it's May 11th, and he's still on the team, and so. Actions are speaking louder than words at this point. We have to proceed as if Joe Mixon is going to be the running back here inside the Bengals, and we want a piece of this offense. I adjusted the projections in the last week with him as the lead back, where before I was kind of, you know, placeholdering someone else to kind of eat into that workload. And now um, he went back up to, you know, RB15, and that's a conservative projection. I think if we were to full on blown project him, I think we could argue that he's going to be in the top 12 or 13 again. And so, it's there's a there's a scenario where he's an RB one. There's a scenario where he could be an RB two, and and that's why I have this kind of modest projection for him. But outstanding offense, utilizing the passing game, no real touches for competition. We have Smajip Ryan, who's gone now, who's eating into a lot of his workload, especially in the passing game and in the red zone. And so with all that gone, Mixon is actually in line to have a better outlook in 2023 than he did in 2022, and he was being drafted much higher than he's going now. Yeah, it does. It does seem like he's being drafted, uh, you know, maybe below his floor if <laughs> because of the backs that are surrounding him. Um, it's and you know, we talk issues. about Chase, Chase Brown. Yeah, the legal issues are the main hurdle. But I think NFL teams kind of tell you uh, the situation with with their actions and the fact that they didn't add a back until Chase Brown. And you have the coaching staff even talking up like Travion Williams, like Joe Mixon is is the, the clear the clear back uh, in Cincinnati right now. But the one that kind of I keep getting intrigued by is Isaiah Pacheco. I think he's kind of a little bit underrated where the Chiefs didn't do anything here. Um, They didn't draft a running back. uh, And Pacheco, to me, is in a very, very good spot where he could take a step forward. And just based on the quality of the offense, uh, he's got he's got a huge touchdown potential next year. So I'm interested in sixth round Pacheco uh, because he gives me, you know, the chance to in the fifth round to maybe take another wide receiver before we see you know, even more of a drop off. So it's definitely a very intriguing list. I mean, Billy, we've talked about acres. We've talked about Rashad white. We've talked about Damian Pierce. It's kind of an, in, it's a very interesting. I wish we could trade backs. back in FFPC, like main events and, and yeah. best ball drafts. Like I would totally give up my round one and two and just load up in rounds like four through eight this year. Like just the value that's in those rounds and then being able to, you know, produce volume and, and have this opportunity. Like I would love to just, hammer through those like i'm gonna do it in my home league for sure like i'm trading back i'm getting rid of my early picks and i'm just loading up in these rounds and there's yeah. there's there is receiving regression coming hard for Jarrett mckinnon like eight of his nine receiving touchdowns last year were scored in that last six game stretch where he caught a touchdown in six consecutive games not only that but in that six game stretch he averaged a touchdown for every three catches like it's not happening again oh so come on Daniel. they gotta That's go totally sustainable you know they that. they gotta go somewhere <laughs> and maybe and maybe it's pacheco maybe <laughs> and we talk about, you know, you think about how efficient Clyde Edwards Hilaire was in the touchdown department to start the year last year. Mm. Like Pacheco is a, is a hammer. And I think that that's a, kind of an, a potential, you know, new wrinkle in their offense to kind of use him early in the year. Um, he's, he's just a violent runner and I love his style. And I think that it could end up at the end of the year, you look up and you're like, you know, holy cow, Isaiah Pacheco has 12 touchdown runs. Um, you know, his, his season this year could be similar to like what Miles Sanders put out last year. So, um, John, we've gone over an hour here. You were very, very generous with your time. Uh, you crushed it. I knew you would. Uh, we continue to bring out fantastic guests uh, in First Class Fantasy. Uh, definitely check out John's work. John, let them know again uh, where they can find you. 
444.com. Right now, a bunch of rookie things up, if that's your scene, between my rookie tiers, rankings, uh, and a couple other written items. Also, if you want to see the nation's most accurate mock draft, it's on the site. Shameless plug. And then, of course, uh, next week, my best ball tiers will be out for everyone, which includes a lot of what I talked about today. And, John, you got to have a code right now. For, for for do you have a four for four code it's, you want to pop no code right now because everything's on sale it's it's our early bird sale so if you sign up right now you get 10 percent off of, ahead of the redraft season automatically so now's the time to jump in billy are you dropping a pod tomorrow yes yeah bradley's gonna hop on we're gonna talk projections we're gonna to go through the nfc north we're gonna cover uh his packers we're gonna go through everybody there it's a, it's an interesting division this year and so um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun show. So we're going to record a little bit later tomorrow. I think it's a five PM, so 8 PM Eastern. Um, and the tentatively, cause it is pending baby situation for him. Um, so once we get those times locked down, it'll probably be between five and 6 PM Pacific eight, nine Eastern, most likely. And then tomorrow I'm going to be hopping on with, uh, Cody Carpenter and Maddie Kiwoom. We're going to be doing a NFL schedule, uh, release, uh, impromptu, uh, podcast. So we haven't set a time yet, but we'll get it on Twitter. Uh, we're excited. I'm sure John and, and Billy, I know you guys are excited about the schedule. It's awesome when it comes out. Uh, you know, it's 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 a it's an awesome time of year, guys. We're almost there. And then join us next week. We've got Scott Barrett of Fantasy Points joining us. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Josh Larkey the following week. So of the 33rd team. So we're we're bringing in the best guests. We want you to win a lot of money. Stick with us in first class fantasy all offseason. I'm Theo Greminger. Uh, as always, Billy Muzio and our guest today, John Daigle. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.